Welcome to the Law of Startups podcast. I'm Mike Schneider. And I am Joe Wallen. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, today, we are lucky to have Peter Chi, the founder of Co- uh, ThinkSpace. Peter, welcome to the show. Hey, welcome. Glad to be here. Yeah. So, so Peter, ThinkSpace is um, you know, well-known in Seattle and uh, you know, East Side. Uh, but what, for those folks who don't know about it, why don't you tell us, tell us about it? Tell us what ThinkSpace, like how you conceptualized it and how you think of it. Sure. So ThinkSpace is a co-working space here in Seattle. We started out eight years ago um, over here in Redmond, and then we opened up a second location over in Fremont. And so we are home to over 600 startups and small businesses um, at both locations. Wow, that's a big number. 602 locations. Wow, that's um, – yeah, I remember, I remember the, uh, your space in Redmond is beautiful. I, I just had no idea I could get that. I mean, I guess I didn't have a, a good sense of the size of the, of the, of the thing. How, how many floors is that then? So we're on three floors of this building here in Redmond, and then we have the um, entire top floor of a building over in Seattle. Okay, okay. How many square feet is in the top floor of the, of the Fremont space? Um, that's actually pretty small, and it's about 5,500 square feet. Okay, okay. So startups just come in, they rent desks or little rooms or conference rooms, or is that, it's generally like the economic model. How would you describe yourself like as, or how would you differentiate yourself from the other well-known kind of players in the space? Sure. So we do have a mix of office space. We have a mix of co-working area where it is desks and people drop in and can work there for the day, or they sign up for like a month-long membership. Um, and then we have meeting rooms available for people to have private meetings. And then we have phone booths over there for phone calls and, you know, we do that at both locations here in Redmond and in Seattle. Um, one of the th- key things that we focus in on has been the community of our space. And um, I think one of the big differences is that I'm a person that has been inside this business and I run it every single day. I'm here. I'm um, accessible to the ThinkSpace member community. Um, can chat with them about various topics that they might be going through, struggling through. Um also, we do provide recruiting services and we're staffing the um, startups that we support. So as the companies grow, they um, need to find hard-to-find developers. Um, and it's really tough when they're competing against some of these other companies out there, you know, bigger companies that are well-known, established, and then they're trying to weigh, you know, should they go work for this fledgling startup that may or may not survive, or should I go work for one of these well-known companies like you know, Facebook or Twitter or Amazon, Microsoft, Google, etc.? Yeah, that's definitely one thing that I have not... Um yeah, I don't. I don't. I haven't heard any other co-working spaces also providing that kind of a, that that kind of a service. That seems pretty unique to me. Yeah, definitely. So I think one of the cool things about that is um, we've had different companies in here that have, you know started out as like two people that quit their job from some well-known tech company in the area, and then they go in kind of stealth mode for you know a couple months, and then suddenly they're telling me that you know what we're just about ready to launch some new thing, and it's cool to see them go through that entire um, life cycle process. But then also when they um, get to that point where they've what I call graduated out of think space, you know they essentially they just get too big and they we don't have enough space inside the building to support them anymore and so they move out and they go on and do stuff um they'll take on you know a few thousand square feet of their own space somewhere or um, in some cases they've taken on hundreds of thousands of square feet of space so 
it, it's kind of neat to be able to continue to support those companies as they continue to grow. Oh yeah, so so you're saying that the uh, you just continue to have a relationship with them on on sort of the um, helping them find talent basis. Yes. As well as like a mentor, perhaps. I know you're pretty heavily involved in, I mean, you've been heavily involved in the EO group for a long time, right? Yeah, the entrepreneur organization. I've been in there for many years and I was on the board for the entrepreneur organization. Um, I helped launch the entrepreneur organization's accelerator program a couple years ago. Um, it was one of those programs that essentially is helping startups go from $250,000 in revenue to reach a million dollars in revenue in one year. Yeah. So how long, so how many years ago was that that you helped EO put that together? Um, that was two years ago. Okay. It's in its third year right now. Okay. So this is because EO typically is like restricted. The membership sort of restricted to CEOs of companies with like more than a million dollars in revenue or something like that. Is that is that right? That is correct. Right. So this a, is an attempt to bring on bring into the bring into the fold some of the younger companies that were going to get there and maybe help them get there. It, it does feed into the um, main core entrepreneur organization. So as soon as they graduate out of that program and hit that million dollar mark, then they're entrepreneur organization eligible right. and then they can move into the main group. How right. big is that group? I'm curious. There's 150 like like a... CEOs in Seattle. Well, that's great. What a good, good number. It seems like small enough that you could actually uh, interact with folks and large enough that there's lots of people. That sounds like a yeah, that sounds like a really great organization. I'm curious to know, I mean, you see a ton of startups come through your your space. What what have you seen in the last couple of years in terms of trends? Like what what are the what are the you know, the latest round of startups that are coming through working on? Is there is there are there any trends you can you can see? Yeah, you know, um, it started out um ton of mobile. That was early days of running ThinkSpace. And everything was just shifting in that direction. And then there was a lot of gaming type of companies that were popping up from that mobile um, trend. And then um, there was some B2B type. Um, it basically, it's all been something related to mobile. And then um, healthcare type companies popping up inside here. And then recently, we brought in a company and they're doing um, AR, VR so augmented reality, virtual reality type stuff, and um, you know they're definitely growing. And they started out in a small office here, and within six months they um, expanded into a much larger space. And they're hi- we're helping them hire now as well. And so there's some cool stuff going on on that side. That's great. And so, how long ago did you open the Fremont Fremont space? Um, been- Fremont is probably about a little over three years old now. I think we just had our three year anniversary. A, a few yeah. days ago, <laughs> That's great. I've known I've known several uh, several founders that have worked out of your spaces in the past, and and every time I've come and visit, they've always been really nice. I, I like the the Redmond space. Always, I've never been to the Fremont space, but the Redmond space always seemed like you'd come in and and it just felt like um you know you could have you could have a visitor come visit your startup and not have it feel like. Uh, you'd be embarrassed that you were working from like a co-working space. It seemed like a, such a polished uh, uh, f- a veneer on 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 the business. Um, it just seemed like it seemed like a really great space. I've been to several. I think you guys. I don't know if you host them or, but several of the Apple developer meetups and on the east side happen there. And I've I've been to a few of those. Um, so anyway, really thanks for thanks for the resource to the community. It's it's um it seems like a great a great place. 
Thank you for saying that. Yeah, the space inside here is something that my team definitely puts a lot of energy to make it feel good in here. And then we have been hosting the um, Xcoder developer meetup for probably like six years now. So, yeah, it's a nice space, but really, um, really comfortable. So you guys are both just thinking about the Apple announcement at ten this morning. Is that what you're really getting at here? <laughs> yes, we yeah. both have a um, appointment at ten o'clock to watch the Apple Seven release or <laughs> iPhone Seven release. <laughs> well, I, it will be interesting to see what what are your thoughts on what we're going to see in the in the new cycle. Um, for the Apple products, or are you talking about for startup stuff? Well, I'm I'm actually curious what you think about what's going to happen at ten o'clock this morning. If you have any particular thoughts about that. Oh, um, I'm just hoping that the iPhone is waterproof. You know, I think I've dropped mine in water and it gets moist from me being outside all the time, exercising and whatnot. And just want to have a better way to protect the phone. And then I take a ton of pictures and I'm looking forward to, you know, seeing how the camera has evolved and developed further. Yeah, the camera is usually what what causes me to upgrade. I mean, I've got some young kids and so... Even if they bump the specs a little bit, if the camera gets better, it makes me want to want to get the new phone. Um, yeah, it's going to be t- tricky. Like trying to make predictions about the phone now. This podcast will probably air a, in about a week, which is a week from the launch of the phone. So whatever we say, we'll be able to be compared directly to what's been announced. Um, so it'll either sound like really, really on point, or it'll sound way off. But but just just try to stay on like when, as a developer, when I watch these announcements, I'm looking for. Um, for new new functionality in the phone that enables new things that weren't possible before for developers. Um, and so that hasn't really happened as much in the last couple of years. Most of the new phones have been faster, better camera, you know, uh, better battery life, better, you know, different form factors, better screen resolution and all that stuff is great. Um, but it, it doesn't, you know, open up massive new doors for developers to start looking at. Um, and, th- and those days may be over because it's a pretty mature product. So, so unless they decide to add some kind of amazing new sensor, uh, we're probably not going to see, you know, dramatic changes uh, that, that, that open up new avenues for developers to pursue. Um, so for me, uh, it's, I've, I've transitioned from watching the, the events as, as a developer looking for opportunities to, to more of a consumer looking to see like whether I want to buy this new phone. Yeah, you know, I think that's interesting that you're thinking about it from that perspective. Um, I'm going to just go out there and say that I bet you the force feedback that they have on an Apple Watch goes into the new um, iPhone and that they lose the home button and then you've got a totally different interaction with um, the person using the phone now. You lose the home button? Yeah. So uh, interesting. Uh, yeah, I know that was like a something that was talked about Um but I like what you said about the phone, like moving the the force the sensor into the into, you know from the from the phone to the to the uh, or from the watch to the phone. I think that makes sense. Mike, would that give you a new sensor to play with when you build something? Not really. The, the new the new uh, phone already or the last version of the phone had force touch, which is pretty cool. Like when you look at it, it, it detects the pressure on the screen and uh, and it gives you a different interaction when you push hard than when you push soft. And technically, that that could open up a lot of doors because. It's uh, it, it can tell how hard you're pressing with with a greater degree of of um, granularity than just hard press and, and short press. So like, you could imagine some some apps where you know the, you can control you know pressure sensitivity affecting drawing on the screen or some kind of input. But none of that stuff translated really very well to the stuff that I work on. 
um, it is great technology. I don't know in terms of the, the, the force feedback that's in the watch that would be, I guess, translating to a better vibrating motor in the, in the phone, like for better notifications possibly. And that would be great for me from a user standpoint. But again, um, you know, my apps at this point are kind of focused on real specific stuff. So I have to get really lucky that if, if Apple introduces something that, that sort of touches on what I do, um, it, it's, it's less and less likely to happen than it was when, when the, the, everything was wide open and huh. um, you know, everything, all the opportunities hadn't been pursued. So Peter, you've seen a ton of mobile companies then in the past five to 10 years in your space. What's happening to the mobile companies? I mean, in, as the mobile has evolved, are they, sorry, and I hope I didn't cut you off there, Joe, but you, what you said made, made me think like all these mobile companies came through, did they go on to success and they're all stable and, and, and uh, successful or did they get aqua hired away or, or did they just go out of business? Like, and obviously there's probably some fall in all those different camps. Oops. <laughs> Sorry about that. No problem. I think that was a, a browser opening up and <laughs> playing some music. All so, right. Um, as far as your um, comments regarding those mobile companies, I think um, some of all of that has happened. And I think the companies that have created some apps, some of them have um, done really well with them. But then I think that over time they um, fade. and they run their course. Yeah. And yeah. then those people that have created those apps move on to other things. They might you know, literally shut down. I've seen some of the companies shut down and then they um, take a break from doing dev work for a while because they've made some money from the apps that they've pushed out there. And then, you know, they will either start up a brand new company or they'll join another startup. Um, yeah, it, yeah, it seems like a lot of that has happened, actually. Some some apps, I mean, there's different apps in, the, in different categories. Obviously, they're all different. But, um, you know, some apps, particularly the ones that tend toward entertainment, um, are, you know, there's a lot of parallels there to like the movie industry where a movie comes out and people watch it and then it goes to video and it continues to make some money. And then eventually it kind of goes and, it, and it's sort of no longer something that, uh, you know, it, might, it may still be, be out there on Netflix, but it's not something that any of the people working on the movie are still working on. And I think a lot of apps are that way, particularly entertainment ones. They, they come out, they run their course, and then you need to move on to something else. You, you don't ever see people like make a movie and then think that they're going to be working on that movie 10 years later. It's, um, you know, it, some, some types of apps have to follow that model and you probably shouldn't assume that your startup's going to be working on the app 10 years later, unless it's something that's like providing ongoing utility and not just entertainment. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think so that, one thing that seems to happen a lot is those companies, um, run their course and then they literally will just shut it down and take a break. And it seems like they'll take like maybe a year or two off even, and then they'll go open up a distillery or a winery or something totally, completely outside of tech. And then eventually they like, oh yeah, I love tech. And then they come back. Right. Oh. Well, there is actually, some, there's definitely crossover between the tech community and the distiller community I've, I've noticed. So um, yeah, no, it's interesting. Um, so getting back to this idea in apps, you know, the sort of utility versus, um, utility versus sort of entertainment uh, divide. Uh, Mike, you made the comment that, you know, unless something has a utility, it just sort of fade, it's, it fades out. And so you think, I, I take it from that statement that you think um, there's just a longer tail associated with utilities maybe, or a longer development, yeah. a longer development potential cycle? 
I don't know. I mean, uh, utilities are harder business than games, for instance. But but um, and I guess you know, it's not to say that a game or or a, an app that provides entertainment doesn't have utility. It just I think of it as a different kind of utility that eventually becomes um, you know less and less valuable over time. Whereas like if you have an app that's a you know like Microsoft Word for the tablet or for the for the iPhone is not going to stop being useful to people. They're not going to delete it from their from their device if they're still using it. Um, same thing if you make a mail client. Um, and, and you get people using that mail client, they're probably going to stay on it, but yeah, it, it needs to be, um, I, I don't know. And, and maybe it's just a divide between know, entertainment and utility. It, it just, if too much of your apps, um, appeal is entertainment, then you have to know that that entertainment is going to get less and it's going to be harder and harder to entertain that user. You're doing the same thing you've been doing. Um, whereas if you're a utility of some kind, uh, providing some ongoing value, may, maybe they'll stick with it. Uh, and, and there's a lot of, um, uh, movement on the app store right now towards subscription models. Um, I'm working on, on converting some things over to subscription and Apple's actually been pushing that. We've got some emails went out to developers last week, you know, really encouraging people to try to try out the subscription model. Um, and the subscription model works a lot better for things that people use for a long time. Like a lot of people don't want to subscribe to a, to a, you know, a, a game they play while they're on the bus. Interesting. What do you think, Peter? What are your thoughts on that? Um, I don't think I've come across too many utility-type um, companies, with the exception of Interfence. So they started out inside here, Derek Del Conte's company, which does um, payment services through an iPhone. Yeah, I've known Derek for a long time. He's actually one of the folks that I've known that, that had space with you, and I've... Uh... I've come visit. Yeah, he's he's a perfect example of that. Um, when back when the iPhone was new, everybody was looking at what should we spend our time on, and um, and I I was sort of quick to get on the, the the quick and easy apps that would sort of drive revenue in the short term, and um, and Derek was looking a lot more I think long term, and he he built a business on the App Store. He, they do if you remember the commercials. Uh, that Apple ran early on in the App Store's life. There was a uh, an app that was featured where you could swipe a credit card, and that was that was um, Interfence's app. So they got a lot of traction from that, and they they built a business that isn't tied specifically to the App Store, which is great. I mean, they, their their customers are merchants who run payments through credit cards. It's it's a it's a business that's been around a lot longer than the App Store, and uh, yeah, it was it was a smart move because he's you know they're still they're, they're still going strong. Um, another one that that did that that I've I've known for a while is uh, a company called Point Inside um, that's also in Bellevue. They they made um, while everybody else was making consumer facing apps, they started working on enterprise and, and making indoor mapping apps for malls and airports. And they're they're also still going strong, um, even though the consumer app market is kind of uh, I don't know changed quite a bit. There's fewer opportunities for consumer apps, but the guys that started on the enterprise stuff early are are still doing great. Totally agree. Yeah, Derek's still Conte's company. Um, I remember him being inside here, and um, I was watching American Idol, and all of a sudden the um, Apple commercial came on, and um, his product was being featured in the commercial. I was going like, hey, wait a second here. The heck guy's inside here. <laughs> I yeah, thought that yeah. was pretty cool. <laughs> and then the point inside guys um, definitely know some of those people, and um, some of the people that work there, they had run startups inside ThinkSpace. And so... Um, they joined Point Inside, and then we've been helping them on the recruiting side as well. Great. Yeah, those are both great companies. 
So what's what's next? Any plans? Are you just is everything pretty mature, or do you have plans to expand further or changes to the business? Yeah. Anything anything coming up that we should know about? So I will say that um, you know after running a company for eight years, um, the biggest challenge is once you feel like you've gotten to a point where you could scale, you start to look at your operations and systems and um, really look into them deeply to see whether or not you could scale on top of the things that you've created. And one of the things that we've put a lot of energy into is just reviewing all that and trying to make sure we're making smart decisions on growth and not just grow because we could grow. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, you know, making sure that we put really solid foundation in place on that side before we open up another location. And we have been looking around all over the place trying to figure out um, where to put another ThinkSpace location. Um, I certainly would love to make the ThinkSpace location in Seattle larger. Um, But competing in that Fremont market is actually extremely tough. Um, There's a lot of competition for the office space out there right now. And it's just driving pricing up um, significantly. And then the east side is also another area that I'm putting a lot of energy and focus into. And I did a survey, and this is probably about three months ago, I pulsed the city of Seattle, um, asking them questions about where they would like to see another ThinkSpace location be. And a significant number of the people that responded to the survey said the east side, um, specifically Bellevue, Bothell, those areas. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, it's um, is the it seems to me as an outsider that that co-working spaces have kind of exploded in the last maybe five years. That maybe more and more people are looking at that as an option, and then more and more options are opening up. Is that is that true? Have you guys has the how's the co-working space business changed over the last five years? Yeah, I'd say you know since the start of um, when I started up the company, there was only one other co-working space in the Seattle area and that was Office Nomads and we opened within like six months of each other and then since then it seems like there's a ton of different companies that have entered into the market here and they've taken a ton of real estate as well so primarily over in the Seattle area though I'd say Pioneer Square completely saturated in terms of the number of um, types of co-working spaces out there and they might have a little different angle on it compared to each other but at the end there's still you know, a significant number of companies down in that area. Um, it seems like it's flourishing, it's growing. Um, I think the great thing about it is that the um, concept of collaborative workspace or shared workspace or space that's um, kind of in that shared economy model um, is now something that many more people recognize it's out there and that it is an option and it's fairly affordable and it's something that can connect them to startup communities and startup people and mentors and um, getting startup education and that type of thing. So overall, I think it's a great thing that it's kind of exploded, not just in Seattle area, but all over the whole entire planet. Yeah. One of the things that might be driving that is the, the, it feels like every, every year the technology gets better, the the ability to make things, uh, make products and for either for mobile or for the web becomes, you know, easier and easier. I mean, it's, it's still difficult, but it's, it's only in the last maybe 10 years that a couple guys could build something as, as powerful as they could now. So like, it, it seems like maybe there's a lot more two, three, four person companies than there used to be because the, the, um, the tools are better. And, and so, you know, if you have four people, doesn't, doesn't make sense to rent like an office space for everybody, but a co-working works perfectly. 
Um, it seems maybe, maybe that's driving some of it. There's just like the, the ease, easier access to the market by smaller groups of people. Yeah, definitely. Over the last eight years, I've seen the barrier to entry for starting up a company drop significantly. It used to take like hundreds of thousands, half a million, million dollars to start up a company. And now it's like, you know, you can start with like $20,000 and you can launch something pretty easily. You can set up websites super fast now. You can launch things um, out on the App Store pretty quickly. Um, I, I mean, I have seen some companies just go from zero to 100 miles an hour in just a matter of months. And they would have never been able to do that had the technology not shifted the way it has. And then getting access to um, quick, easy, flexible space without having to sign long-term leases and put down personal guarantees and things like that has also made the barrier to entry a lot lower too. And there's a lot more um, people that are able to jump in now without having to take such big risk. Yeah, it's kind of nice. I feel like some people, like like in the old days, if you had to, you know, plop down money for for a big, you know, lease or, or sign up for a year, or um, there was a lot more. Yeah, like you said, more risk, but then probably a lot more entrepreneurs that were that were risking everything and losing it because you, you'd have to. I just I just remember hearing all the stories about folks that you know they signed a uh, signed a one year lease. Rent, rent some really expensive copy machine and a bunch of leased equipment, and then the company doesn't make it, and then they're stuck with all this debt. and And if they've if if they've personally guaranteed it, then they're totally screwed. Like I don't hear about that at all anymore. I never hear about startups getting like getting strapped with a bunch of uh, space they need to get rid of, or you know, photocopiers that they need that they have to pay rentals on. I mean, it, I suppose it happens when you get to be a certain size, but it just seems like it's 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 um burning fewer people than it used to. Yeah, definitely. It's burning a lot fewer people. And then it's probably only touching some of the companies that have, um, I guess, taken off or gotten that um, Series A round that, you know, go from like 20 people to now getting 100 people. And then if they can get past that hump, then great. But if they don't, then they're the ones that have um, leased out a bunch of space. They have probably signed some personal guarantees and they probably are the ones stuck with the, the copier rental um, type things. So, yeah. Yep. Cool. Well, I think uh, any, any parting thoughts or I guess, how can people find out? I mean, I imagine, you know, we've kind of talked about a few different things, but, but I should, I should definitely say that anybody that's looking for space should check you out. I mean, it's a great place to, to set up shop with a few people and have a really nice base of operations for a startup. Um, how can people find out more? Um, so definitely if on our website, thinkspace.com is a place where people can find out our social channels or another place where they can easily assess, access us through Twitter, um, through Facebook. Um, one other thing I didn't actually talk about, and I think it's something that um, goes along the lines of our last conversation there. Um, we do have an incubator inside here, which we are essentially soft launching right now. And it's been kind of soft launch for the last, I want to say, about a year and a half. And we've been helping um, startups that are looking to get their idea off the ground, not necessarily go through something as structured as um, a Techstars program, but they're essentially they've got an idea. They want to get it vetted out. They want to make sure that there's um, customers that are sitting out there ready to pay them for the thing that they're creating. Um, but they're doing it in a way where they want to maintain their job that they have. Okay? So they haven't actually completely plunged 
all the way in. So, and the reason why we're helping these kinds of people out is because we feel like there's a lot of great ideas out there in which these people have an extremely high opportunity cost if they were to, mm-hmm. you know, quit their, you know, well-paid job and then jump into the startup idea without having fully vetted the thing out. And so, um, there's going to be some really great things launching out of here in the next couple of years, or probably in the next six to nine months, actually. Um, I've been watching this one startup in here that is just doing something fantastic. And I can't say what it is, but, um, you know, to see these people who have, um, you know, essentially, they, they have made that decision to actually quit their day jobs now because they've had that year of vetting the entire thing out to make sure that it's working correctly. And then they've been able to utilize resources in here um, that are less, a lot less expensive, but also really solid in terms of the um, experience level. Um, so, yeah, I guess if, if so there's... So keep our, keep our eyes peeled? Yeah, so, well, I think that. And then I, I think also if there's people out there that happen to be listening to this that are sitting there thinking, you know what, I've got this startup idea. I want to um, run it by somebody and I want to see if this actually makes any sense. And maybe it makes sense to go through this kind of incubator process, which is much different than the other types of incubators out there because most of them want you to quit your day jobs and you know, go ahead well, not first. just that, oh. but one of the things that, that appeals to me about what you just said is, so like I've, I've had ideas for startups that, that I wanted to pursue and I've, and I've been pursuing on my own. And I thought, well, what about, what if one of these accelerators or tech stars might be, might be a lot of fun. I could be in with other people and get a lot of feedback and, and, uh, but, but the thing that's kept me from, from ever looking at those seriously is that I'm, I'm, I'm not your typical, uh, you know, 20 year old, uh, fresh out of, out of college startup that, that wants to work. 24 hours a day. Uh, you know, the stuff that I work on takes time, but I, I have to, I also have to prioritize some of the other existing businesses that I already run. So, you know, trying to join one of those programs, well, it doesn't really work if you've got other things cooking. Um, and it sounds like your, your program may be a little more open to people that have either a day job or, or maybe they've already got existing successful businesses that they can't abandon to go, you know, pursue something new. Um, seems like a good, good option for folks like that. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, you might be one person that would be good to come in here and talk with us about that and yeah. see, see what your concepts are. And then plus the other thing that we provide in here is the resources too. So we have been pulling in some talent from all over the area um, and which we provide the people that are not really experienced out there an opportunity to work inside these startups. But then we provide a high level of mentorship on the engineering side so that they are learning things in the right way, yet um, the startup will get a really inexpensive um, engineer to work on their stuff. So it, it's kind of a mix of a couple different things in which it really does help people that are just getting started on the engineering side get some really great experience and or maybe even from the um, user experience side or graphic design side, they'll get some really great experience. And then the startups get a great deal um, when it comes to actually working with these people. So that's great. Well, thanks for being on. This was really, uh, really fun to hear, hear about what's happening. And um, yeah, for everybody else, feel free to check, check out the website and, um, and thanks for listening. We'll, uh, we'll see you all next week.